Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy. And we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah, and some waves so we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> I love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, can a girl go shopping? Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. My search for Matt Drudge has brought me here to Miami, Florida, where Drudge decamped many years ago to soak up the state's warmth, sunshine, and low taxes after he made it big in online media. For years, Drudge lived here in Miami Beach, He was a man about town, driving his convertible with the top down around Miami hotspots. He loved the city's nightclubs, he loved dancing, he loved music. But as Matt Drudge grew more famous, the spotlight on his personal life also grew more intense. After a few magazine profiles and national publications drew attention to his private life, including insinuations about his sexual orientation, he seems to have decided that he'd had enough of the exposure. He bought a large home near the Florida Everglades that would offer the mogul more privacy in his life. Surrounded by imposing walls and a gate, Drudge could come and go as he pleased beyond the watchful gaze of a bustling city. And from all appearances, he got the peace and quiet he craved, both at his new compound and in the other locales he lived from time to time. That is, until a reporter for the Columbia Journalism Review showed up at his Florida compound one day in 2020, got through the gate, and knocked on the door. In the last episode, I mentioned that Drudge's last broadcast interview was in 2017. While that's true, it wasn't absolutely his last interview. His real final interview was actually a lot more recent than that. On today's episode of Finding Matt Drudge, I'll speak to the reporter who drove to Drudge's house that day. Why'd he do it? He wanted an answer to one major question, a question that has baffled politicos across the country, a question that in part we launched this podcast to answer. Why did Matt Drudge turn against Donald Trump? I'm Chris Moody. Let's dive in. How could the most powerful man in media basically just vanish from public life? From JMW Productions and iHeartMedia, this is Finding Matt Drudge. (laughs) 
In 2016, Matt Drudge seemed to have some very high hopes for the presidency of Donald Trump. His website ran stories promoting Trump as a candidate as far back as the Republican primary, to the point that it drove Trump's Republican primary opponents, particularly Ted Cruz, insane with jealousy. But it wasn't long before Drudge made a 180 on President Trump. In the run-up to the 2020 presidential election, Drudge started posting stories and headlines that made Trump seem like a fool, which observers noted boosted Biden in the contentious election season. After the dust settled in the 2020 election and Biden reigned victorious, people wanted to know why Drudge had turned against the man he had once supported so strongly. That's why Bob Norman, a veteran South Florida journalist, found himself driving his car deep into western Miami-Dade County one afternoon in hopes of visiting Matt Drudge at his house in person. He wanted to know what everyone else was wondering. Why? Drudge had ignored Norman's telephone calls and emails requesting an interview. As a good reporter, he would pay the reclusive editor a personal in-person visit. But first, he had to find his house, which was built and designed not to be found. When I looked it up on Google Maps, it was funny because it just looked like a jungle. <laughs> it was, there was no house, there was no, it was just uh, overgrowth. And uh, I, I thought, wow, this is good. I knew then it was gonna be interesting. Whatever, I, it was gonna be interesting getting, you know, finding the house, it's all walled off. It's way out in the farmland and woods of Southwest Miami-Dade County. It's a little two-lane road. To the west is uh, farmland. West of that is the Everglades, the swamp. On the west side, it's wide open, and you turn around and it's a wall of woods. And that's where he lives. They're nice houses for people who want to live in, in solitude, away from the masses, away from so essentially everything. Norman didn't have very high hopes about getting to the house, but he had to do his due diligence. It's a reporter's duty to do everything within reason to give a subject an opportunity to comment on a piece of reporting. Norman figured he'd be blocked by a gate, would leave a note, and head back home. But when he pulled up to Drudge's property, he was shocked at what he saw. Drive up to the place. Lo and behold, the gate's open. I couldn't believe it. Reporter's instinct took hold, drove right through the gate. I pulled up where the house was. It's just sort of this really understated, one-story ranch house, you might call it, but it almost feels like it's dug into the earth. It was a very nice place. And I believe I stopped outside and sort of thought about what I was going to do. Game plan. And I didn't stop for very long because I knew what the, I knew the law was. You know, I, I needed to be quick about this. I couldn't linger. Norman sat in his car and built up the courage to walk up to the house. When, to his surprise, somebody came up. I was sitting out there and then I got a knock on the door. And it was his immigrant, Mexican immigrant groundskeeper who asked me what I was doing there. And I said, I'm going to go ahead and knock on the door. And that's what I did. The groundskeeper didn't tell him to leave or stop him. Norman got out of his car, walked to Drudge's front door, and gave it a knock. His door was like something from an English castle or something. It had a huge wooden, ornately carved door. And um, 
So it was like knocking on, it was like knocking on a tree. And so I was like, can you hear me as you watch? I, I didn't know what was going on, but I, I waited and then I left. I was glad that I got to at least pierce the veil. I called him right as I was leaving and said, I just, you know, I just tried to say hello. Give me a call if you can. When he got home, Norman's phone rang. And on the other line was Matt Drudge. And he was irate. He said, I know who you are. I know your work. And I'm really surprised that you did this. I'm really disappointed in you that you would do something like this. He told me that he had gone to the police. That was one of the things that he said, that he was going to have me. You know, he, he had it on video, me, on his property, that I had gone past a no trespassing sign and he was going to take it to the police and he was going to, you know, I was going to get charged. And I wasn't worried because I knew the law. But I also knew that if someone like Matt Drudge took this to the police and the police took it seriously, the police don't always do the right thing. It would have been a little bit embarrassing, I guess, to be arrested, <laughs> which could have actually happened. Again, a false arrest, but it happens. It was almost like I felt like I was dealing with someone who wasn't entirely rational. I'm not saying that he wasn't rational, but it was just, it went on for so long. He said, you are essentially brave to even do it, that are stupid because you could have been killed. It's a valid point to make. You go out in the woods and you knock on somebody's door. You don't know what's gonna happen. He truly felt that I had violated his privacy, that I had done something terribly wrong to him. And I disagreed with him. And I told him why that wasn't the case. And I certainly meant no malice and that it was simply knocking on his door and leaving. And that's it. And, you know, I wanted to give him every opportunity to respond to the article. I thought that I might get response using this method, which is pretty common in journalistic circles. And he didn't see it that way. He saw it as a, uh, a really terrible, horrible thing that I had done. He never went to the police. That was a bluff. That was just him trying to scare. Ultimately, I think he wanted to scare me off this story. Norman tried to steer the conversation back to the topic of his story. Why did Drudge turn on Trump? But Drudge wasn't having it. He kept returning to the complaint about Norman visiting his house. I've never had someone who just kept coming back to the problem, coming back to it for that long. Just the endurance that he had on that point was incredible. It was almost like he was playing it for effect. And he would go, but you know, you really shouldn't have done that. You know, it's, it's really bad. And I was like, oh God, are we just going to not, we're not going to talk about anything. And we really didn't, he won. He won the phone call because I really didn't get a lot out of him. He would pause for several moments as if he were, he was going to answer and then he would come back. But you know, you really shouldn't have come on my property. <laughs> it was like, oh my God, just stop. And I think I said that at one point, it got to ridiculous, you know, to where it was just, please. Let's move on. But uh, we never did get to the place that I wanted to go. Drudge didn't stop there. The next morning, 
I find out that he's called an editor at CGR and just gone off and screamed and said, this guy violated my privacy and, you know, made a lot of threats. CJR stood, obviously stood behind me and the work we were doing 100%. Now, you might be wondering why I didn't go to Drudge's house for this podcast. Well, I did look into it, and guess what? By the time I got here in Miami, Drudge was gone. I mean, that house Norman visited was on sale for a cool $2.5 million. Where did Drudge go? I tried asking his friend, Ann Coulter, but she declined to comment. But Coulter did talk to Vanity Fair magazine, and here's what she said. Quote, Drudge and I are both leaving Florida, and we're not telling anyone where we're going this time. So I guess the mystery remains. Do you know where Matt Drudge is? If you have a great Matt Drudge story that can shed insight into the mysterious mogul and help us on our search, call us at 301-200-2414 and tell us about it. We may even air your message in the final episodes of the show. If you want us to credit you, please say so and leave your name. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy. And we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. Well, I don't know about you, but, like, I never liked being told, oh, wow, you look so good for your age. Like, why even bother saying that? Why don't you just say you look great at any age, every age? That's what Meaningful Beauty is all about. We create products that make you feel confident in your skin at the age you are now. Meaningful Beauty. Beautiful skin at every age. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com news. That's LifeLock.com news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Norman's story raised the question about Donald Trump, but didn't really answer it. 
How could he? Really the only person who could articulate what happened is Matt Drudge himself, and Drudge didn't reveal much. It's been nearly four years since Norman tried to answer this question, so I'm going to try to give it another shot. It was the summer of 2020, and it seemed like Drudge had already had enough of Trump. The president hadn't fulfilled all his promises, particularly the one about there being a border wall across Mexico. Drudge ran a banner headline on his site slamming Trump for failing to build the wall. As the year went on, Drudge ran headlines critical of Trump. By the time Trump was impeached, Drudge had clearly moved on. Asuin Subsang is a reporter who chronicled the Trump administration closely. His book, Sinking in the Swamp, How Trump's Minions and Misfits Poisoned Washington, told the sordid tale of Trump's relationship with Drudge. He'd be a great person to start with. Here's Subsang. A strange thing starts happening in 2019, especially during the, as that first impeachment inquiry and the proceedings start heating up over the Trump-Ukraine scandal. The Drudge Report starts getting more and more openly hostile, not even hiding it, not even implicitly so, just more and more explicitly portraying Donald Trump no longer as a besieged hero to the conservative movement. The image you would have painted in your mind of Donald John Trump, leader of the free world, at that time, if you were regularly reading the Drudge Report, was this is an oafish buffoon who is in over his head, could very well be uh, a corrupt dipshit. And here's all this reporting that illustrates just how bad things are getting for President Trump. And this was not done through the veil of sympathy. You could sense that something was changing, at least as it had to do with Matt Drudge, specifically, to the point where individuals on other big conservative media Trump allies start realizing it. And this was also something that then-President Trump started noticing in late 2019 and reacting to it within the halls of the White House with a sense of intense displeasure. He started asking friends, senior White House officials, other allies who he'd be speaking to, uh, things like, hey, what's what's going on with Drudge lately? What's the matter with Drudge? Why why does it seem like he hates Trump all of a sudden? I, I thought we were good. Got to the point where he even asked Jared Kushner to check in, to start basically investigating and calling around or perhaps even reaching out to Matt Drudge to figure out uh, why he's giving his dad-in-law such a hard time. Why do you think that Drudge turned on Trump? I'm going to quote a uh, former White House official, quote, Trump understands Matt Drudge's influence. He knows he can be a little mercurial, though, and prone to stir the pot. He also knows Drudge isn't able to be bullied. Matt doesn't owe his career to anyone and can't be moved the way others can because he's not afraid, not just of Trump, but in general. So I think that kind of gives kind of a taste of a 30,000 foot view of what was going on there. Drudge kind of had a sense for the way the winds were blowing on this. Got to Mm -hmm. a point where in 2019 and 2020, where Matt Drudge clearly felt and thought that, okay, I don't need to carry all the water for this guy anymore. One of the things that really does account for that turn is that he decided to take this guy, Donald Trump, who he had politically buddied up to, 
and sort of portrayed himself as a staunch media ally and start turning him into what he craved the most out of the American political landscape, which was tabloid fodder to run through his influential internet machine. That's what he did with Clinton and the Lewinsky scandal. And if that's the way you're approaching uh, the most powerful person or people on the face of the planet, and if you're someone like Matt Drudge, how could you not want to give Donald Trump that kind of treatment? It would be a waste of your um, at least ostensibly stated mission in life. To get an insider perspective, I wanted to talk directly with former White House officials about this question. So I tracked down members of Donald Trump's administration and presidential campaign to try to piece together what they thought the reason was that Drudge turned on their boss. And I got a wide range of answers. The first person I spoke to was Hogan Gidley, who served as Donald Trump's White House deputy press secretary and worked in the administration from 2017 to 2020. I heard it was all around the border, that the, the border wall wasn't built fast enough, and that's what made him mad. Don't know if that's true. I just heard that from some people you know, high up, close to the president that I worked with every day. And I heard him in passing. We were talking about it. I said, well, how do we lose Drudge? Or we, we had him? And they're like, oh, no, they were, you know, he, Judge was good to us. And then um, I, I think he was mad because we didn't build the wall fast enough or something. I, that's what I heard. And here's Steve Bannon, who worked on Donald Trump's first presidential campaign and then joined the administration. He was definitely off the Trump train as far as policy goes, right? He just wasn't a supporter. You could tell that pretty obviously. The site went so negative Trump, but also so negative conservative and so negative MAGA. It's interesting. Sam Nunberg, a Trump campaign advisor in 2015, thinks the reason could have to do with Trump's personality. The more time Drudge spent with Trump, Nunberg says, the less he liked him. I think that Drudge played a pivotal role for Donald in 2016. And I think it played a pivotal role hurting him in 2020, turning against him. One of the biggest questions is going to be what made him turn against Donald. There are multiple theories. One thing I would think is the more time Matt spent with Donald, the less he liked him. You're not going to like what you see behind the scenes. It's not a nice picture. After the midterms as well, maybe Drudge just saw the writing on the wall as well, right? And didn't want to be with a loser himself. But look, we'll never really know the reasons, right? We'll never know. You'll never get a straight answer. Ultimately, Donald became a victim of Matt the same way many others have. Um, did Matt make Donald lose the election in 2020? No. But Trump sure as hell could have used his help, and he didn't have it. Sean Spicer, Trump's former White House press secretary, said there was surprise when Drudge started being critical of Trump. But then the relationship appeared irreparable. There were a couple early shots that sort of surprised people. And then uh, it was almost like the, the doors to the dam opened up and it, it wasn't going to ever get closed again. Sebastian Gorka was deputy assistant to the president and strategist in the Trump White House. I asked him the same question. Why did he turn on Trump and what happened there? Well, there's a couple of theories. The, the only one that, uh, you know, is more feasible is that he sold it to somebody who wanted to attack my former boss, President Trump. Either that or he, he just had a wicked case of, you know, Trump derangement syndrome. I don't know. And the guy's such a recluse. I don't know if we'll, we'll ever find out. OK, this is something we definitely need to clear up because a lot of people think Drudge doesn't even run the Drudge Report anymore. 
Let's try to get to the bottom of this as best we can. Drudge's reversal on Trump has had people like Gorka speculating about whether Drudge is still involved. Did he sell the site and run with the money? Did he license his name? Personally, I'm skeptical. In a previous episode, we heard from sources who had direct contact with Matt Drudge. They said that based on their private conversations with him, he would never let the site go on in the hands of someone else. Larry O'Connor, the former editor of Breitbart.com, said that the day Drudge steps away or dies, the site will be gone. That's from Drudge's own lips. Hillary Clinton advisor Tracy Seffel, who had a long-running professional relationship with Drudge, predicted that one day the Drudge Report would simply go dark and disappear from the internet. I'm of the mind to agree with them. What's more, the website still seems to harbor the same idiosyncratic obsessions Drudge always posted about and would unlikely translate to a new owner. It's unlikely we'd get the same Lana Del Rey coverage if Drudge wasn't still the operator. And from private conversations we've had with people who refuse to participate in this show, it seems all but certain he still is the maestro of the Drudge Report. Still, I wanted to dig further. So I spoke to Matt Drudge biographer, Matt Leshack, author of The Drudge Revolution. His book went deep into whether Drudge has sold the site. And Leshack says, absolutely not. One of the reasons people think that Matt sold the Drudge Report is because it moved seemingly to the left, but they don't understand that Matt was never motivated by politics. He has his political beliefs, but Matt's real motivation has always been page clicks. And I, I don't say that disparagingly. I mean, he is a businessman and it's like we're all trying to make a living, but his treatment towards Trump towards the end really was what raised eyebrows and made people think that he had sold the website. But I mean, I can tell you as a fact, he has not sold the website. Matt is definitely running the website. I mean, I can confirm that to you. He was offered an obscene sum of money by an NBA owner who I can't name to sell the website. And he turned it down. And his reasoning to one of his friends was that like, he would never let somebody run the website with his name on it. He would never do that. Regardless of the true reason that Trump lost Drudge's support, the fact remains. The fissure cost Drudge support on the right. Leshack says there was a significant drop in traffic from the time Drudge stopped supporting Trump. Since he turned on Trump, his page hits went down between 30 and 40 percent from the peak. And here's what Steve Bannon says. The right hates it. I mean, literally hates it. I think the days of Drudge having any impact are, in fact, over. I, I just don't see it. Do you think that Drudge turning on Trump and possibly, you know, by proxy conservatives hurt his business? I'm not so sure the site is anywhere near as big as it was. It's definitely not as influential. That there's just no doubt. Because I'm not so sure the left has embraced it. I never hear it talked about on the left of all the guys. And nobody ever says you see a Drudge like. And I never hear from anybody on the right. Among Trump's former staffers, the anger at Drudge's betrayal is palpable. Here's Sam Nunberg, the campaign staffer from 2015. I still think we deserve an explanation for what he did for 2020. But that's one thing that I think we deserve. And if we don't like his explanation, we don't like it. But I, I think we deserve the right to have, at least for closure. I think no matter what, we're better off with Donald in office than what we have now. And uh, to the extent that there's a responsibility 
that Matt borns for that, uh, you know, I say, fuck you, Matt. My biggest takeaway from speaking to all these people is that conservatives made a faulty assumption about Drudge from the very beginning. Yes, he made a name for himself by reporting about Bill and Hillary Clinton. Yes, he was critical of President Obama. Yes, he celebrated Trump's rise. But that didn't make Drudge a party loyalist. He didn't owe anyone his allegiance, his support, or his favor on his website. Drudge is an independent person. He is, as he put it way back in the 1990s, a partisan for news. He relishes that independence, and any time someone started to take his support or friendship for granted, he was more than happy to revoke it. And I would argue that it is that unpredictable spirit that made him so successful in the first place. You don't have to like him. You don't have to agree with him. But always know that he'll say what he thinks. Consequences be damned. Look, we've been circling around Matt Drudge for a long time in this podcast, talking with people who knew him or met him over the years, but it's time to get even closer. It's time to bring in a very special guest. In our next episode, we will speak with someone on the inside, an actual former editor of The Drudge Report. He's a reporter who worked closely with Drudge for years directly on the site. Someone who knows more about the Drudge Report than just about anyone, perhaps other than Matt Drudge himself. Someone who can provide new answers to some of the questions we've been searching for on this show and new insights into how the Drudge machine actually works. And let me tell you, this person has a lot to say. I'm Chris Moody. Be sure to join us next time for this special episode of Finding Matt Drudge. Remember to call us at 301-200-2414 if you have a great tip or a great Matt Drudge story. We'll track down the tips for the final episodes of the show. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. Hey, guys. Back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck, yeah. And some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> Love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, tenor girl go shopping. Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.
When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. But are your bills accurate? It's estimated over 50% of medical bills contain errors. HealthLock can help. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. To save, visit HealthLock.com today.